Well, we're in a series this morning, uh, week three of this series called Journey to the Cross. And we have been following Jesus uh, for the last two weeks throughout his ministry to some of the, some of the, the locations, where the, the geographical locations of where he has been and some things that he has done. Uh, we started our series uh, at the Sea of Galilee. And again, I've got the map up there, uh, but I forgot my, my cap. Uh, toy to, to point, so uh, you have to forgive me there. But uh, Galilee, uh, the Sea of Galilee, is that body of water up, and there's a there's a purple area up in the top there. That's Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is there. This is where Jesus spent much of his life. Uh, much of his life was spent within a hundred miles of this lake or so, and a lot of the miracles that he did were around here, turning water into wine, for instance. Raising the centurion's daughter was up in Capernaum, just north of the lake, and so. <clears throat> Uh, the, the, the miracle that we talked about that week uh, was the feeding of the 5,000 and just talked about God's provision and God's uh, just care and, and, and just concern for people, right? The, the kind of concern that comes from a, a deep level within himself, from the core of who he is. The scriptural word there is literally from, from his guts, he felt compassion on the crowd. And so this is the same kind of compassion and love that God feels for you and God feels for me. Last week, we traveled down uh, in, in, through Samaria into Judea uh, to Bethany, which is right next to Jerusalem, where we'll be today. But in Bethany, we visited the house of Mary and Martha as Lazarus had just passed away, and Jesus seemingly coming too late. He is there four days after Lazarus dies, raises Lazarus back from the dead, raises him back to life. And I just, if you left hearing nothing else last week, I wanted you to hear that if you were in a waiting period, like Mary and Martha were in this waiting period, that just because God is silent doesn't mean he's, he's denying anything. And if God always met your expectations, if God always answered your prayers, if every answer to your prayer was yes, God would never have, an, never have the ability to exceed your expectations. This week, we travel not too far from Bethany, into Jerusalem uh, for the events of Palm Sunday. And uh, we, we celebrate this every year. This is the beginning of Holy Week. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> we're going to read out of Matthew chapter 21, if you want to go there, if you're in our pew Bibles on page 697. Uh, <clears throat> but this today is the beginning of Holy Week. I love Holy Week. This is probably one of my favorite spiritual weeks throughout the year. I love this week. I love just reflecting on Easter. I love Holy Week. Holy literally means to set apart. This is a week that is set apart for us, set apart to reflect, set apart to, uh, to be special in our lives. And it's a time where we celebrate the last events in Jesus' life. And it's exciting, because we, uh, it's exciting for me because this is the week where the whole world pays attention. Right? You look in, on TV and there's, there's TV specials about Easter. And some of them are a little crazy and weird, but there's TV specials about Easter all over the news. You hear about Easter in the papers. If you still read newspapers, uh, it's in the newspapers, right? And, uh, people begin to, to read about the Easter uh, events in the Bible. People begin to, to, they feel like they can come to church during Easter. This is an exciting week for me. There's just this overall sense of excitement for me. But looking at it also, there's almost like a almost a darker side of Easter for me as well. 
Because it is, it is very possible that people step in and they feel comfortable and they see the beauty in the church. And I'm not just talking about the, the, the way that the aesthetics of our church. I'm talking about the beauty of the church, the people and the way that we love each other and the way that we interact with each other and the way that we love God and the way we worship God. This is the beauty in the church. They come and they experience that and they experience God and they want more of God. And as they go home, they feel like my life has changed, my life is different, but if I'm a Christian, I need to do certain things to be able to really live this out. And it becomes about rules for them. It becomes about just, just doing certain things because now I have, uh, have kind of confessed to be a Christian, so my life should look this certain way. And what happens is it's kind of like a New Year's Eve kind of thing for me, a New Year's resolution. I see this a lot at Easter. People come and they experience Christ and they decide that my life is going to change. I'm going to live this certain way. I'm going to do these certain things. And then they go home and it works well for about a week. And then about two weeks in, Satan begins to speak into their lives and begins to say, did that really happen? Did you really experience God in that place? Did you really do that? Because your life looks no different right now. And it's this idea that, that as people experience Christ, we need to be prepared to help them and walk them through this relationship because that is what it is. It is a relationship. We talked a few weeks ago about this, this, our relationship with God being central to our faith. It's not about the rules. It's not about the law. It's not about doing certain things. It is about a relationship with a loving, holy God who created you and knows you and loves you and wants to know you intimately and carefully and, and wants to be a part of your life. I, I want to just remind us this week that this is what it's about. This is what Easter is all about. This, this week sometimes is called the most religious week of the year. I want to push back on that a little bit because I think this week is the, really the most relational week of the year. Because this is the week that we celebrate God sending his son to earth, living the life that we could not live, and dying the death that we deserve to die. Not that we might go and follow certain rules, but that we might go and live for him. And that we might live eternally with him. This is about a relationship, and this is what... This is what this is all about. <clears throat> so turn with me to Matthew chapter 21. And we're going to read, uh, we're gonna read the Palm, Palm Sunday story here. Jesus is making his way into Jerusalem as part of this journey to the cross. And here's where we are. Matthew chapter 21. Again, if you're in our pew Bible, it's on page 697. <clears throat> starting at verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. 
They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This week is, is this, this story is called the triumphal entry of Jesus. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem and he's being treated as a king. He's being treated as, as kind of the new king. And, and as people, as, as he comes in, people are just shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. We'll talk about what that means in a second. But this is the two important things here. This is, this is the Passover week in Jerusalem. Passover week is an important, uh, an important week in Jerusalem. It was then and it is now even. But at that time, it was the largest event in Jerusalem. Everyone came back to Jerusalem for this. It had been celebrated 1,500 years. Right? And Jerusalem at this time would swell sometimes to 10 times its normal size. People from all over would come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And Jesus comes and, and he's created quite a buzz Right? He's, he's been doing miracles. People have heard about his miracles. Just a few days previous, he raises Lazarus from the dead. It's what we did last week. Was, this was just two chapters before. Right? This is just a few days earlier from when he comes in here that Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead. He has, he has kind of created this buzz around him. And as, as he's entering the city of Jerusalem, people are shouting at him, Hosanna! Hosanna and Hosanna uh, has mean a couple has meant <laughs> mean, has meant a couple things uh, as as the word has kind of gone on and and its earlier stages Hosanna was literally a plea to God save us save us God we'll talk about how this plays out in Exodus in a second but as the word as the word kind of progressed and as it kind of moved on and as people started to use it 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 began to be more of a praise. And it's almost like a, a thank you for saving us, is what they're saying to Jesus as he walks in, as he rides into the city. They're saying, God, thank you for saving us. Thank you for being our Savior. Thank you for your deliverance. This is what people are saying as Jesus comes into the city. What are they expecting Jesus to do? They're, they're literally expecting Jesus to come in and physically overthrow the government. These people are sick of being oppressed by the Roman government, sick of being oppressed, and, and they expect Jesus to come in and, and begin his kingdom. They've been talking about the kingdom of God, and they've just kind of misunderstood the kingdom of God. They're thinking the kingdom of God is, is right now. Jesus is coming to be our literal king right here, right now. And as Jesus comes into the city, they're saying, Hosanna, thank you for your deliverance. Thank you for saving us. We're excited to see what happens next. Jesus comes in and he's, he's, they're just saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, thank you for deliverance. It's an appeal for deliverance and it's a praise for deliverance. Now, this theme of deliverance and Passover is, is not unique. This, in fact, is the theme of Passover. Passover starts 1,500 years previous to this in, in, in Egypt. The people of God, the Israelites, are in Egypt, and they're being oppressed by Pharaoh. They're actually not just being oppressed. They're being enslaved by Pharaoh for 400 years. And you can imagine the cries out 
to God. God, save us. God, where are you in this? Hosanna. God, would you come and would you, would you be with us? Would you come and would you save us? And so God raises up a man named Moses. And Moses goes to the Pharaoh and he says, God says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no. The plagues begin to come. There's frogs and flies and gnats and livestock are killed. There's darkness. The, the water turns to blood and all these, different, all these different plagues. And the last plague is, is an important one. God just says, I'm going to deliver my people. And the last plague at this time is, is the plague of death. Where, Jesus, or where God comes in and, and kills the firstborn of all the Egyptians. This is what Passover really comes from. I want to go back and read the story in the book of Exodus here. It's in, it's in Exodus chapter 11. It's on page 47 if you're in one of our pew Bibles. Exodus chapter 11. <clears throat> and we're going to start at verse 1 here. I just want you to, to hear this story and then we'll talk a little bit more about Passover. Now the Lord had said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. And when he does, he will drive you out completely. Tell the people that men and women alike are to ask their neighbors for articles of silver and gold. The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people, and Moses himself was highly regarded in Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and by the people. So Moses said, this is what the Lord says, about midnight I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die, from the, from the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the female slave who is at her handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or will ever be again. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any person or animal. Then you will know that the Lord made a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these officials of yours will come to me, bowing down before me and saying, Go, you and all the people who follow you. After that, I will leave. Then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. <clears throat> the Lord had said to Moses, Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you so that my wonders may be multiplied in Egypt. Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before Pharaoh, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let, Israel, not let the Israelites go out of his country. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be... For you, the first month, the first month of your year, tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be a year old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night they are to eat the meat roasted over fire along, the bitter herbs, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over a fire with the head, legs, and internal organs. Do not leave any of it until morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. 
On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all, <clears throat> all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. This is the beginning of Passover. This is the beginning of what Jesus is, is in Jerusalem to celebrate with his disciples. They are there to celebrate the Passover. And, and God in this, in this chapter of Exodus saying, someone is going to die from every family unless, unless you slaughter a lamb. And unless you trust in the blood of this lamb on your doorposts, you will also lose your firstborn. But the, the people of Israel were, were saved by the blood of the Lamb. They were saved. They were delivered. They were headed to the promised land. And this is what they celebrated every single Passover. They're celebrating the deliverance of their people out of Egypt and into the promised land. This is the Passover. This is what they celebrated every Passover. And, and, uh, and, and so every, every year at Passover, they would have a few days. The first day would be lamb selection day, where they would go out and, and similar to, we're picking out a turkey for Thanksgiving, or we're picking out our, this is the Christmas tree. They, they would go out, this is the big day. This is, we're going we're gonna to pick our lamb for Passover today. There was lamb selection day. And then four days later, they would slaughter the lamb and eat it at their Passover feast. This is, this is the, the festival here. They, this is what people came to Jerusalem to do. They came to, to celebrate the Passover, and this is what they would do. And I don't know how many of you have already connected this dot, but Jesus eats the Passover meal with his disciples. Four days earlier, on Lamb Selection Day, Jesus comes into Jerusalem. I want you just to see the significance of this. In Egypt, the people put the blood of the lamb on their doorposts, and they were saved. And Jesus, Scripture commonly calls him the Lamb of God, comes into Jerusalem on Lamb Selection Day. And it's as if God is saying, if you trust in the blood of my lamb, you will be saved. If you will just trust in the blood of Jesus, if you will just trust in the blood of, of my lamb, you will be delivered. And not just from Rome, you will be delivered from sin. This is, this, the New Testament is just full of writing about Jesus being the lamb of God. It's something that the writers of the New Testament seemed to fully understand when they were talking about Jesus. They knew, this, they knew the significance of, of Jesus coming into Jerusalem on Lamb Selection Sunday, you, on Lamb Selection Day. You turn to John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, uh, the writer of John here says this, verse 120, chapter 1, verse 29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I know I'm going kind of fast. You can write these verses down. 1 Corinthians 5, <clears throat> verse 7. 
Well, I'll start at verse 6. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be new, a new unleavened batch, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. 1 Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. The New Testament is, is full of imagery of, as Jesus as this lamb. It's in Revelation. It's in everywhere. Jesus is the lamb of God. Jesus comes into Jerusalem on this triumphal entry and on Lamb Selection Day. And God is saying to us, that if you just believe in the blood of my Lamb, you will be saved. Now you can imagine everybody's, in, everybody's at the, with Jesus as he's walking in shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, thank you for saving us. Thank you for delivering us. They don't know the kind of deliverance that is about to happen, but man, are they about to be delivered. It might not come in military might. It might not come in a new kingdom with an overthrown government. It's not going to look like that at all, as we find out later in Holy Week. And on next week, we'll talk about that a little more. It doesn't look like what they were expecting. But Jesus, as he rolls in on Lamb Selection Day, is trust in my blood, and you will be saved. Trust in my blood, and you will be saved. Delivered Again, not from Rome, not from an oppressive government, from sin. You will be delivered. He is our Lamb, and we can only be saved through the blood of the Lamb. Now, by Thursday of this week, of Holy Week, Passover week for Jesus, the crowds are already beginning to, to chatter. The Pharisees want Jesus dead. And Jesus has the Passover meal with his disciples. And in this meal, you know, this, these 10, 15 hours before he goes to the cross, he knows that the disciples are going to be lost, they're going to be confused as this happens, because it's not what they're expecting either, we learn. I find what happens at the Passover meal with Jesus to be very interesting. And it's not, it, it's, it's in a lot of the conversation that takes place. You know, the book, of, the book of John tells us a lot about this conversation at the dinner table. If you want to turn there, we're going to be in John chapter 15 here, just for a part of it. And I want you to imagine with me that you are Jesus. You know that in a matter of hours, you're going to be arrested, tortured, killed on a cross. This is why you came. You're having dinner with the 12 closest people to you. The people that you are entrusting to carry on your mission. The people you're entrusting to, to carry on the purpose of why you're here. 
to get the message out about you, to get the message about, about salvation that only comes through, through the blood of Jesus. What do, you tell your, what do you tell your people? What does that conversation look like for you? I know for me, what it looks like is, this is how you need to do this. These are the last words that I'm about to tell you. You need to do this to succeed. This is how success happens. If you, do, if you just do all of these things that I'm telling you right now, we're going to be okay, and you're going to be okay. I would be giving them instructions. I would be giving them like a list of things to do and the things not to do and all this kind of stuff. But Jesus doesn't even go there. Jesus doesn't even, he doesn't, he doesn't raise his voice at all about how, how people should live or different rules to, he doesn't list out the 10 most important things to do, right? Follow these 10. If you do these 10, you're going to be good. It's not about that at all. Jesus is focused in this place, in the, in, at this dinner, about relationship. He makes it clear what the purpose of the disciples is. It's about relationship with God. I want to just read chapter 15. Not all of it, just, just a little bit of it. And here's, here's what it says at verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. As I have told you this, <clears throat> excuse me, as I, ha I have told you this, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You're my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. There's not a list of ten. There's not a list of rules and regulations and laws to follow. Love each other. This is my command. Love each other. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. This is all about a relationship. This is all about being in this relationship with God. I am the life source. All right? This is when you're connected with me, you will bear fruit. But it's about being connected to God and God being connected to us. This is where the fruit grows from. If, as you grow to know him, your life will begin to bear fruit. Now, doesn't this sound totally different from religion? 
religion where there's just a, a ton of rules. And the, Pharise- the Pharisees and, and the Sadducees, they had a really good religion. They had 613 rules that they would have to follow and encourage other people to follow. And they would just be like watchdogs on people to say, like, if you're not following these rules, you're not doing it right, and you are not in. Now, Jesus just says, love each other. It's not about rules. It's not about the laws. A few weeks ago we talked about why are there so many rules and that rules are not central to who we are. Jesus is central to who we are. This is what it's about. And we know from what we read later on the disciples get it. They got this. They understood this from Jesus. From later writings we know that for about 200 years the disciples were focused on relationship with Jesus. They were focused on believing in Jesus and remaining in Jesus and remaining in his love and loving one another as Jesus loved them. This was their focus. After a couple hundred years, it begins to, the pendulum begins to swing a little bit. And they begin to, to be known for their rules. And then the pendulum swings again. And they're known for their just relationship. And the pendulum swings again and again. And this is the, the tide of life. This is the tide of Christianity over the history of our faith is that there are times when we are so focused on rules and regulations and there are times when we are just so focused on the relationship. And here's what I want to tell you this morning. The real place is probably somewhere right in the middle. Because as we grow in relationship with God, the rules, they don't just, they're not over there. The rules aren't bad things. Right? We, we live a certain life because of our love for God. The fruit that we bear comes out of, out of our relationship with God and not out of a certain set of rule sets that we, that we align to. This is what it's all about. This is what Jesus is all about. Here's what I know. Just through experience. Approaching God simply through the lens of, of rules, regulations, and laws always ends in defeat. Because you can't and you will never live up to the rules or the law. You can only do so in relationship with Jesus Christ as he lives in and through you. That is the only way. I find this interesting that that even in this passage, again, this is one of the final things that Jesus says that we have recorded to his disciples. If you remain in me, you will bear fruit. Now, I don't think that we ourselves are the ones who bear the fruit. We cannot bear fruit on our own. The fruit that is that is the fruit that we bear is done in and through the Holy Spirit in our lives. This is the only way that we're able to bear fruit. Right? When we're in relationship with God, fruit is produced and, and it's not by us, but it's in and through us. And here's the kind of fruit that, that we're talking about here in Galatians chapter five. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, and peace, and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is the fruit of the Spirit. 
Right? This, this, these are things that, that we can only truly achieve if we are, if we are live, letting the Spirit live in and through our lives. If you're sitting over here on this rules side and regulation side and being like, man, my life is supposed to look like this, and I see things every single day that aren't this, it's defeating. Easter is about relationship with Jesus. That's what this is about. Jesus came to introduce you to a relationship with God. Jesus came to be your lamb. Jesus came on lamb selection day, and he says, if you trust in the blood of the lamb, you will be saved. You will be delivered. And my prayer for you this week as we go through Holy Week, as we begin to reflect on Easter, that you would begin to reflect on your relationship with Jesus. Where do you stand in your relationship with Jesus? How close are you in your relationship with Jesus? My prayer for you this week is that you're reminded about your identity in Jesus this week. That as we reflect on the events of Holy Week, Jesus going to the cross, being tortured and beat for you and for me. And rising from the dead as we celebrate next week. Defeating sin. Defeating death. For you and for me. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would have everlasting life. This is what it's all about. Whoever believes in him would have this eternal relationship with God. This is what Easter is about. It's what this week is about. My prayer is that next week as we come and as we, as we celebrate the gospel, that maybe there's people here that hear it for the very first time, that we would come beside those people and let them know that, hey, this is... This is not about being over here and the live this way, do this and don't do this and the list of do's and don'ts. This is not the Christian faith. The Christian faith is, is just entering into this relationship with Christ. And as you grow in this relationship, your life is going to look a lot different. But it goes in that order. As you grow in your relationship with Christ, that will come. But if you start over here and if you start in this rules and, and, and regulation and if I don't live up to this, then I'm a bad person and... It's just so defeating. And in a couple weeks, it's just done. I pray that that is not the case next week. That as the gospel is presented, as people hear it, maybe for the first time, that they would enter into this relationship with Jesus. And that they would know where they stand with Jesus. They would continue to, to grow in their love for Christ and their knowledge for Christ. And that, that even for you, some of you have known Christ for your entire lives almost. You, don't, you can't remember a time when you didn't know Jesus. But my prayer this next weekend is that you would fall in love once again with him. That you would fall in love once again with the person of Jesus Christ. That you would continue to, to grow in relationship with Jesus Christ. And that you would continue to, to bear fruit as you remain in him. Let's pray. God, we love you. We give you praise. We give you thanks in this place this morning. God, Palm Sunday. Lamb Selection Day. 
Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. Not a mighty horse with an army behind him, but a donkey. On Lamb Selection Day, saying, if we trust in the blood of the Lamb, we will be saved, we'll be delivered. God, this week, would we, would we just reflect on our relationship with you? Would we come to know you in maybe a new way this week? Would we grow in you? Would we remain in you? God, and would our lives bear fruit as we do so? God, we love you. We give you praise. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? I just want to pray this blessing over you. May our God, who sent his lamb to earth to cover your sin and my sin, may this same God go with you and go ahead of you. May he bless you this week. May he keep you this week. And may you be bold for him this week. And as we come next week to Easter, may you just be reminded of his love and his grace, and his mercy that is for you every single day. Go in peace this week and make a difference in your community. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for coming this morning.